Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. I'm going to read a near-death experience from an apparently anonymous author. However, it is in the book by Lee Nelson called Beyond the Veil, which is a, a, a collection of these kinds of experiences. And he has at least two volumes of this uh Beyond the Veil, Volume 1 and Volume 2. This is Volume 1. And this is in Chapter 4, called Tremendous Mental Agility. In October 1987, I was headed north on I-15 towards Salt Lake City when I saw an elderly man who had become disoriented driving south in the northbound lane, headed straight for me. I don't remember what happened, but from what others told me afterwards, I apparently tried to avoid the elderly man because when he hit me, I spun around and was head on, hit head on again by another northbound car. The old man died within three or four minutes. Those who stopped to help said I was not breathing, nor could they detect any heartbeat. I was so badly crushed inside the car that it took three ambulance crews an hour and a half to get me out. The dashboard was smashed against my chest. My face and eyes were seriously injured. My thigh bone was pushed up through the hip socket. The socket alone was broken in 17 places, and there were eight other breaks on my hip. From the time of the accident until I was... Well along the road to recovery, I lost track of time. When I regained consciousness, I began to remember some strange events that were recorded clearly in my memory. I remember being in a beautiful, white, light-filled cloud. It might have just been a mist or a bright fog. I knew there were things beyond the fog that I wasn't supposed to see. There was an enormous feeling of peace everywhere. The peace was associated with a complete awareness of the presence of God and his influence. His presence was there, though I could not see him, nor could I see anyone else. I had a tremendous mental agility. My mind was so quick, and I was able to see every direction at the same time. I later realized I was not seeing with my natural eyes. I was perceiving and comprehending everything around me. At the same time, I was feeling an enormous mental capacity. It was nothing new. I was aware that I had always been this way. It felt very natural. It was the real me. I didn't have to think about it. That was the natural way of things, and I felt very comfortable, very relaxed. At the same time, I had this distinct feeling that there was something on the other side of the cloud that I was not permitted to see, but I knew in my heart that if I were permitted to see it, I would be immediate or I would be able to comprehend everything immediately. The mental agility I experienced, the ability to comprehend, was different than what we know in this life. If you were going to teach me about tape recorders, for example, you would use clumsy, cumbersome words. You would tell me how tape recorders are made, the electronic components used, and the function of each. 
then you would show me the mechanics of how to open the cassette and put in the tapes, how to close the door, then push the various buttons and the functions of each. You would show me how to control the volume, attach a remote mic, and how to operate in it on batteries or by plugging it into an outlet. Little by little, I would become proficient in the use of a tape recorder. But in the mental state I was experiencing in that cloud, none of your instructions would be necessary. All you would have to do is show me a tape recorder and I would be able to comprehend everything about it instantly, even if I had never seen one before. My ability to comprehend and learn had been multiplied by a thousand times or more. The slow, clunky manner in which I'd learned on earth had evaporated. I could absorb and comprehend things I never thought possible. I had no idea what the parameters were to this experience. I don't know if it was 10 hours, 10 minutes, or 10 seconds. I don't remember the transition when I left that beautiful bright cloud and returned to my body. I didn't see my body from above, nor did I see anyone doing anything with my body. When this memory came back to me, I was in the hospital and in so much pain I could hardly communicate with the people around me. I was cognizant when awake, but I slept a lot. There were times when I thought for sure I was going to die. I didn't know a person could hurt that much and live. While in the hospital, when the suffering was at its peak, I was visited by a heavenly being. Without words, the form of communication, let's see, without words, with a form of communication far more complete, he told me he loved me with a perfect love and that he wanted me to become one with him. I felt the pure generosity of that statement. It was a communication from soul to soul. I struggled to put it in words. Feelings accompanied the ideas as they were communicated. He also told me that I became one with him, that as I became one with him, he wanted me to help my brothers and sisters in the human family become one with him too, because he loved them the same as he loved me. There was one particular day in the hospital when I could feel the prayers that people were offering for me. What I felt was powerful. The prayers were in my room, in the air, around me. I felt like I could reach out my hand and touch them. I sensed they were almost tangible. In sensing the prayers, I also felt the love of the people who had offered them. I am convinced that it was by the mercy of God that I was allowed the experience, to experience the prayers people were offering for me. I just hope they realized their prayers were meaningful and made a difference. Since that time, when I pray for someone, I do so with increased faith, knowing my prayers have power. Feeling the love of my Father in heaven and the prayers of my family and friends gave me the strength I needed to face the pain and a very difficult recovery. The love I felt through these experiences meant more to me than the experience of being dead and coming back. Let me read that again. That's interesting. The love I felt through these experiences of 
you know, the prayers and the love that they felt from the people and so forth. The love I felt through these experiences meant more to me than the experience of being dead and coming back. When I was dead, I was just me. I was not any happier or sadder. Everything about me was me. That was all. Before the accident, I was a very competitive person, always wanting the highest grade, the best job, the most money. I think I'm different now. I think I love and appreciate other people more and have a stronger desire to do things for others. Almost every day I think about my journey beyond the veil and the experience of my feeling my Heavenly Father's love. I feel myself changing, I think for the better. That's the end of the experience. And there's a reason I wanted to share this one, and um, let me touch on some of the other aspects before I go back to that. But um, this person talks about, and I don't remember if there was an indication whether this was a he or a she, it's not clear. Um, but, uh, this person says that they felt the love of the people who offered prayers for them and that they actually felt that the, uh, that the prayers were almost tangible. They could almost reach out their hands and touch them. And in sensing the prayers, it says, they also felt the love of the people who had offered them. We should never assume that the prayers that we offer are just, you know, kind words, you know, or, or kind of a, a, you know, when people say on Facebook, oh, please pray for me and my family. And, and if you do say a little prayer in your heart, you are hopefully doing it out of, out of love. But it's not just some fulfillment of some obligatory sensation in you there is actual power in that there is actual physical power of some sort and love the love that you have when you express that prayer comes with it and it's doing something now it's true that somebody who's not in such a spiritual state of mind as this person is is not necessarily going to sense or feel your specific prayer but it is doing something for their spirit, for their soul. It, something is changing in them because of that experience. And that, I think, itself is something that uh, indicates that prayers have power and, and that we shouldn't negate that. Another thing that uh, this person says is that they, when they were dead, they said, I was just me. I was not any happier or sadder. Everything was about me was just me or was me. That was all. So, you know how when you're a kid, and I mean, to those of you who aren't married yet, this this uh, analogy might not work, but um, you know how when you're a kid and you think about being married someday, or even as a teenager, when you're, you know, gaga about somebody, but they're, they don't take note of you and you've never had a girlfriend or boyfriend, and you, you know, that, that longing is there, and yet trying to think of yourself being married someday, being, you know, what's it going to be like to be married? That sense is so foreign, and you feel like, 
I can't even imagine. I mean, you, you kind of imagine what it might be like, but you have this kind of inner sense that you're going to be a different person at that time, that you're going to feel differently about things, you're going to act differently, you're going to think differently, that you're just going to be a different person at that point. That, you know, obviously it'll take time for that to happen, but but that you're going to be almost somebody else entirely. And then you get married and you're in love with this person and yes, you're one with them, but you find that you're the exact same person you were before. And it's not that it's a surprise per se, as much as it's something, it's kind of like, why did I think that I would be different? Why did I think that being married would feel so much different just the essence of being married would feel so much different. I remember feeling that way, and maybe you do, maybe not, but I think that might be a good analogy for being dead, being your spirit self, is that, well, I'm I'm still me. There's no difference except that I'm in a different situation, but it's still me. It's still me. I'm thinking, this is me. I know myself. You know, it was just me. Okay, that was all they said. So, in case you're feeling like, oh, what's that going to feel like to be the kind of person who is dead and on the other side? Well, we, I can tell you this. It, it's going to feel like you are yourself. You're still you. And there will be things that will be gone, perhaps, such as the fears and anxieties of this life, hopefully, um, if you haven't nurtured them to the point where they are part of you rather than than just a you know a physical sensation that happens in your body because of stress and so forth everybody has those things but uh, but we don't need to own them and we don't need to consider them as part of our being because that's the only way i can think of to carry those to carry fear and anxiety into the next life is to is to embed them into ourselves to the point where it becomes our part of our identity. And yes, that can be rooted back out, but it's a lot easier to root it out in this life. Which kind of brings me to the point that I really want to make in this podcast. And, you know, when... And and I have discussed this before, so I apologize if this feels redundant, but I... I want to stress it a little bit. This person, in their near-death experience, they recognized that if they were to look at a tape recorder, they would get it. They would get the components. They would get how it works, how the sound waves travel through the air into the ears, and how the uh, voice can be um, permeated on this tape of sorts to be recorded to be repeated in the air and so forth. All the components of the capacitors and and batteries and all the different functions in the spirit form, you could just show somebody a recorder and they would get it. That's how learning, how powerful learning is in the spirit. At least everything I read seems to suggest that. And also, when you ask a question, say, you know, what is the purpose of life or or what is a star made of, or how does light travel at the speed that it does, and why does it not travel faster, and so forth. Those kind of questions seem to come like that. They're just, they're waiting to be answered. They're just ready 
at your fingertips, if you will. Um, but yet we talk about this life as being a form of school or a form of learning or a form of experience that we can't have in the spirit. And if our mental agility, mental capacity is so incredibly agile <laughs> in the spirit form, then what can we possibly learn in this life that we can't learn as a spirit? And that is the thing. If you come to terms with what those lessons are, I think you come to see the real deep value of this life. I was thinking about this uh, recently as I was listening to a near-death experience and they were talking about how they had come to this life to learn particular lessons that they needed to know and they needed to experience. And yes, we understand, you know, that we, we come to experience, but what is an experience except uh, a collection of memories and lessons that can be learned from those memories? Uh, a, a set of of things that can be taken from the experience. And so as I as I was thinking about that, I thought, well what would I have come to this earth to learn? And I'm not going to go into details about some about thoughts that I had on that particular subject. They're very personal and frankly unrelated, except to say that as I thought about this, I, you know, I was thinking, well, but wait a minute, I thought you could learn so much easier in the spirit. You know, I thought the spirit was so much more agile to be able to pick up on things so quickly and answers are just waiting to be received. So what can we be learning? You know, I mean, because if we can traverse the universe and visit planets beyond planets, beyond, beyond universes, beyond planets, you know, and, and galaxies and you know, at the blink of an eye, basically, then why wouldn't we be able to experience those planets, wander those planets, see, hear, smell, feel, and what is experience except see, hear, feel, smell, taste, and, and you know, as well as think and feel and so forth. Uh, what is it beyond those things? Because the Spirit does those things marvelously well. And as I thought about it, I realized there are some things that can only be learned through practice. And I don't mean practice as in piano, though the piano makes a good analogy for it. Think about, for example, being patient with others. Now, this may be a tough one because it's probably easier to be patient in the spirit in general than... Uh, than being patient in the flesh because the flesh is so, you know, clunky and 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 frustrating and and slow and and all this. But because it's so clunky and difficult and slow, let's say a person, uh, let's say a uh, a spirit, has difficult a difficult time being patient, and obviously in the spirit form that's going to look different, but than it does in the flesh to some extent. But if you have this general impatience with people. Okay, how do you work on that in the spirit? How do you put yourself in a situation 
where you have to exercise patience. Because time doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything, right? So time-based patience is going to be very difficult to develop because time is not really a factor. Um, what about the, uh, the uh, annoyance factors? Okay, somebody's doing something that bothers you. Um, in the spirit, I mean... There's nothing keeping you in that person's presence. And, and there's nothing that's forcing you to stay there. There's also nothing that can hurt you physically or, you know, fully hurt you mentally. You know, there's just, I mean, you're so free and you're so easily, you know, things can go right through you in terms of physical to, you know, there's basically you're so not bound to this situation or this person that how would you learn to overcome your impatience with them while you have while you're in this spirit form do you see where i'm going with this so in the physical body we are in a situation where life is difficult it's heavy. Our body is heavy. We don't think of it as necessarily heavy until we're out of it, but it's, it's heavy. It has gravity. It has, it has the physical sensations and health difficulties. And, and if you've got a bad headache and you're tired and a child is screaming in your ear, that is a great opportunity to learn patience. And no, you're probably not going to learn it the first time because you're going to go, I can't take this. But as you practice and you learn, you know, these kind of meditation skills and just, you know, time out for yourself and, and learning to, to be able to let those things pass through you in a situation where you cannot escape them. The mortal... It, situation is one in which you can't escape things. You can't get out of your body, not knowingly or willingly. Um, at least most people can't that I know of. And you can't necessarily get out of a situation where you're at work and you'll be fired if you leave and yet you're exhausted and you're frustrated with your boss and you, you know, it's hard and you're, you know, you have a, a little bit of a frustrated customer and you're just like, I just want to go home. You are learning. You are experiencing things on a level that you couldn't experience in the spiritual form. And because you can't experience that in a spiritual form, the lessons to be learned from that situation can be best learned in the physical. And not only can they be learned their best, but they can be learned it's like, if you're in the spirit form and everything is so easy to, you know, if something's frustrating to you, you just get away from it. You can leave that situation. You're free to, you're just gone from that situation. Just your desire to be elsewhere will take you elsewhere. So how are you going to learn to face that situation and learn to, to really deal with it in a place where you're really face to face with it? You can and it takes a long time, it takes more effort, it's more difficult because everything is so much easier there. Does that make sense? 
in this physical form when things are so dang hard. Trying and making effort at things teaches us, regardless of whether we succeed in the lesson as we would consider, regardless of whether I finally did blow my top, okay, if I didn't blow my top, the lesson may be stronger or more, more deeply embedded, but even if I do blow my top, all that work up to that point, and then even the lessons of learning how to deal with forgiving yourself and learning to, you know, uh, learning not to regret, but rather to change and adjust and show more love and increase in love rather than in anger and frustration and so forth. I mean, I've heard it said also by many, many, many near-death experiencers that the emotions that we have in the spirit are much stronger, more potent. You know, which is why often when somebody is in a hospital room and and they're see, looking down at their body and the doctors are like, ah, and there's hustle and bustle and desperation and stuff, they just feel like, ah, I don't like the energy of this room. There's just too much um, excitement in it, you might say. The, not, not good excitement, but negative energy. You know, everybody's afraid and everybody's, you know. And so they want to leave that situation because those emotions hit them so intensely and an insult for example while in the flesh we're just like yeah whatever you know and you just kind of have this general self-consciousness based on the insult in the spirit form when you look back and you have that life review and you see it with the expanded mindset that your spirit has you feel it in all of its depth all of its implications all of its context and it hurts much more. And yet, you also understand the, uh, and, and have compassion for the person who had gave, sent out the insult. And if it's you, you have greater regret and greater feeling of, uh, you know, of heaviness around that thing. And so it's like in this life, the extreme emotions, um, of regret and pain and uh, of, of soul are dampened. But the physical sensations of fear and anxiety are enhanced so that those things can be used to teach you the lessons. Anyway, the point is in all of this that there are things that you can learn better in the spirit. Okay? How light travels through space and you know dark matter and quantum physics and so forth there's not any problem at all with studying those things in this life that's great it's a great thing to study those things that's uh, that's not what i'm suggesting but those things can be learned very quickly and easily in the spirit form the things that are very difficult to learn are lessons such as real genuine patience real genuine humility, real genuine deep compassion. Now, of course, compassion comes more easy in the spirit, as does a lot of things. But developing it in the flesh, because of this ability to learn things more, let, let me put it this way, you may feel compassion more intensely in the spirit, but you can develop it more strongly in the flesh. 
Overcoming addictions is easier in the flesh. That's something I keep coming across. Many who go to the other side, while the initial um, mental capacities that are hindered by drugs or alcohol are wiped away, obviously, because the physical body is gone, the uh, craving or the, uh, the addiction itself may still be there. And it's much easier to overcome it in the flesh when you can deal with withdrawals. When you can have the withdrawal uh, symptoms to help create that. It's, it's like a compacted version of trying to overcome. And when you can deal with, with the uh, being able to distract your mind and distract your body with different kinds of sensations. You know, you hear of, of grapefruit juice being, you know, drink grapefruit juice if you're craving a cigarette, things like that. I don't, I've never smoked a cigarette, so I don't know what that is like. I do know that eating cranberry sauce and then immediately guzzling water, the water tastes terrible. So I imagine it's something along those kinds of lines. But using those things to manipulate your body to, to not crave, it's so much easier to, develop, to change those things in the flesh than in the spirit. And honestly, I wish I could come up with a full list. Humility, I know, is being one of them. Compassion seems to be one of them. Uh, like I said, patience seems to be one of them. I would love to come up with or see a list of things that are better developed in the flesh than in the spirit form. Because those seem to be the things that, w- that this life is especially attuned to develop. And so I think that's a very interesting point. And considering what, which of these things that are better developed in the flesh do I struggle in spirit with? Am I a very prideful individual? Am I a very... Do I, do I really get down on myself? Do I, do I have self-loathing and so forth? Those are things that may be easier to fix in the flesh because they're based in the deeper spiritual uh, attributes and, and, and parts of the soul which seem to be, from these near-death experiences, much easier to fix in the flesh. Consider those things in yourself. What of those things, and I'd love if we could come up with a list together, but uh, but think about those things and then work on those things because it's going to be so much easier to fix them while in the flesh than after we die. So if you would like to contact the podcast either with a question, comment, or your own experience, you can email neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or you can call 970-NDE-CAST. And that will give you a three-minute message time. And if that's not enough time, just call back and, and continue your message. And with that, thank you so much again for listening.